You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. This morning, we are going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 17. Um, If you have a Bible with you this morning, we are going to ask that you turn there with us. If you didn't bring one this morning, but you'd like to be in a hard copy of the text, um, then you, uh, they are throughout the room underneath the seat, so you should be able to find one. And if you don't have one, we are just going to invite you to keep that one as a gift from us. And so, again, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 17. And so if you are able, once you get there, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you uh, once again. As we've been saying, happy 4th of July. It's not a competition, but I do have a son that was born on the 4th of July, so I am the most patriotic person in this room, including my wife. So you're welcome. Um, Anyways, it's good to have you guys here. Uh, I want to take this opportunity, since we're gathered together, And the topic is here uh, to pray for our country this morning. Uh, I'd like to do that. It's something that uh, we don't get a chance to do all together often. And it's something that the scripture tells us to do, to pray for our country, to pray for the rulers uh, that are over the country. And so we want to do that. Now, we know our our true citizenship is in heaven. And so if America falls, we're good, baby. Okay, we got a a better country that's coming. But uh, it is our responsibility as witnesses here. Uh, to do this. So let's pray together, and then we'll, uh, we'll hop into the message today. So you can bow your heads with me. Uh, Father, we love you. We do thank you this morning that the gospel is true, that our inheritance is in you and in your kingdom. And so we ask for the grace and mercy to look forward to that together today. But right now, God, we pray for the United States of America. We pray for our president, the rulers, uh, those rulers that we are, see, and people behind the scenes, and um, God, we pray for them. There's so many things we'd like to pray for them, God, but we pray at the end of the day they would be uh, humbled by your mighty hand, that they would not seek the authority that comes from power over other people, but from uh, submitting to your authority 
rather, Lord, they would do that and they would um, be good stewards of what you've placed in their hands. God, we collectively together repent uh, for our nation and just pray, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us of all the sins that corrupt our culture and us. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be a nation that would uh, serve you in unique ways that would be uh, genuinely a light, a light to the world. Um, and that we pray for the church in America, that you would help the church to, to stay strong in the midst of pressure, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but get us as a power, God, your power unto salvation for all who would believe. And so let the church be strong and bold and righteous and a good bride for you, Lord Jesus. And we pray for ourselves this morning. Would you help us as we talk about your word uh, to be people who have ears to hear what it is that you're saying? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to understand your gospel, what you've called us to and what the word's calling us to this morning? So God, help us. We pray by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so. Uh, like Lauren mentioned, we are in a series called Life Together. We are exploring Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 and how that applies to the church and our life as the church. Uh, so just a quick breakdown of Ephesians in general. You got chapters 1, 2, 3, which uh, Corey talked about when he let off the series. Uh, is much more of a theological treatise. And then it kind of bleeds into 4, 5, and 6, which is that theology and practice uh, in the local church. And so it's kind of like uh, what we believe and how we act in the church uh, in light of what we believe, okay? That's kind of how Ephesians is set up. And so um, going through 4, 5, and 6, like we are in this series, we're kind of in that back half of more practical theology, the outworking of what we believe about the gospel and about ourselves in Christ, okay? So that's kind of where we're at in the text. Um, over the past several weeks, we've talked about how there's, there's one faith, that there's not several, right? There are many denominations, okay, of Christianity, but at the end of the day, uh, Christian, one faith, right? There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We're all united under that banner of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about how really the, the next several sermons after that were how we help one another grow to be image bearers of God, right? And there's all these things that we talked about in that. And then now we've kind of moved into here in chapter five, what it means to walk in love and be imitators image bearers of Jesus Christ. And so it's kind of this transition now where we're looking. And so if you look at verse one and two, I'm not going to go into it. Court preached on it last week. Please go listen to the podcast. If you didn't get to hear it, it was great. But here's what it says. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And so uh, basically the call was to be imitators of God uh, right? As um, Christ, uh, based on what, what Christ did. So as beloved children, walk in that love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering to God in the same way, therefore we do that for others and we imitate Christ. And so now you have to ask the question, well, well, first the statement, we're not good at that. And the question is, how in the world do we do that since we're not good at that, right? So in light of the reality and problem of our sinful behavior, how in the world are we supposed to be imitators of Christ and to walk in love as Christ did, right? It is a big calling. And so Paul is about to address how we do that in light of we are sinful creatures with sinful desires and sinful patterns. What can we do in light of that to image 
Christ. Now, before we get into it, uh, I'm going to be talking about my three major points are based around three trade-offs that Paul is going to give us here. Okay, We're going to trade something for something else. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul is simply saying, uh, don't do that, do this. Okay, Kind of like the rules we give our kids, right? Like, don't uh, eat yellow snow. That's a popular one in my house, okay? Even though we don't see snow, so they're pretty good at banging that one. Um, but do this, rather, right? We give rules, okay? That's not exactly what Paul's doing. He's not after simple, uh, or, or maybe I should say only, uh, behavior modification. Paul's after something greater. He's after your identity, okay? And so he's not just saying, uh, don't do that. You need to fix that. That's kind of messed up. Just do this, which is sadly often how we parent our kids, right? Because it's just so frustrating. We just need them to obey. And some of that is good. But rather what he's saying is, don't do that because of who you are in Christ. Rather, walk this way, right? That, that's what he's saying. So it's not simply just don't do that, do this. It's saying, because we are... Um, adopted by God the Father, and Court talked a lot about this even last week, because we're adopted by him, because the gospel is true, therefore we should seek to trade what we're going to trade for the better things. Okay, so there's three traits he's calling, but you got to remember that's the underlying goal here. So don't take it as simply, oh man, I really messed up. I'm pretty impure. I need to go do something else. That's not exactly it, though that is true, and we'll get there. So Let's read verse 3 together, and we'll kind of hop into that. So the first trade-off is we trade sinful patterns for thanksgiving. We trade sinful patterns for thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So he gives a list first off. Here's what he says. Sexual immorality, okay? This covers all kinds of sexual morality. Anything you can think of, it seems to be developing rapidly these days of all the kinds, but anything you can think of, it falls under this category, anything that's sexually immoral. Then he goes on and says, impurity. This tends to be more of a broader term, which includes everything just mentioned and then some, okay? So anything impure, anything stained without pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Um, This covers a lot of things. Uh, And then he also says, covetousness, which is basically the disordered desire for others' uh, possessions and um, station. It's not simply just a greed thing, but as we're going to see, it's really more of an idolatry, right, is what Paul is going to call it, to be covetousness. This this backwards desire uh, is idolatry. It's basically what's happening here in this list. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of sins. You might say, oh, I haven't done those three. I'm awesome. Uh, This is kind of a broader, it's supposed to be broader terms because what he's saying basically is that there is a way in which we can degrade ourselves and creation by worshiping creation rather than the creator who is God, right? It's what Romans 1 talks about. So Paul is giving us a list that, look, these things shouldn't even be named among us. We are those who worship God, not those who worship created things. And that's what these kind of sinful patterns um, allow us to do. Verse 4, he gives another list. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So he gives filthiness, pretty self-explanatory, and lots of sinful things can be fit under that category. Uh, Foolish talking, so any idle talk, any uh, harmful talk, those kind of things, Um, and crude joking. Now, I don't think this means that we can't joke, okay? But once again, he's giving a list, all right? I think we should be happy people, okay? Martin Luther talked about how uh, if heaven's a place where we can't laugh, he doesn't want to go there, all right? And obviously, that's a little oversimplified. I want to go there if I'm not allowed to laugh or not. But uh, the point was is that uh, it, it's, it's going to be a joyful place, right? 
there is a, a goodness in the way that we joke and, and laugh and celebrate and rejoice. It's not what Paul's attacking right here. He's not trying to give this, you know, uh, picture of Christianity. It's very rigid. But rather, what he's saying is that all of these things, think about crude joking, think about just foolish talking, filthiness, right? These, these things not only kind of do the same as the list before, but these actually also, what they do is they degrade, you degrade yourself and you degrade creation by making it frivolous, okay? So you can fall into either side of the spectrum. Either you're going to worship creation with a passion, which is idolatry, or you're going to take it very frivolously, which in turn is also uh, degrading you. It's degrading the world around you. It's still not helpful. Practice is still sinful and wrong. So either way, it's taking creation and mishandling it, right? So I'll say all that to say, we should have um, a more of a serious joy about us, okay? It doesn't mean we're killjoys, but what it does mean is that we, we take the realities of life seriously, this is the problem in America, okay, in the West in general. I mean, we could literally stare at the phone for hours on TikToks that literally contribute nothing to your life, okay? I know there are some that do. I'm not saying all TikTok's bad, but the point is that we could find ourselves in frivolity for, for hours and hours because we, we're, by nature, we just don't want to take things seriously, right? By nature, we just kind of want to relax, chill, you know, but there also is a serious side. Now, I'll get off my soapbox there. That wasn't part of it, but so don't Take that as just a list. It is more of a vibe, if you will, okay? It is a sinful patterns that are created inside of us because of our inordinate desires and our idolatry. So he says, rather than those things, that we should um, have thanksgiving. Now, if you're like me, you either A, read past that, and were like, I just missed that. I was just kind of reading, you know, kind of reading. Oh, yeah, thanksgiving, that's cool. Or you're like, I expected something different there, right? Like if he's going to say, hey, don't be sexually immoral. Don't be an idolater. Don't covet. I, I imagine he would say, but rather love God or rather be righteous, right? Or something like Jesus where he said, look, if your right hand is causing you to sin, like cut it off, right? Because it would be better if you went into heaven, into heaven without a hand, right? Rather than to go into hell with both hands diving head first, right? That's what Jesus called. So I expect something like that. But rather he says, be thankful. Be thankful. Now this is cool. Um, so here's a few things I would say. When we are thankful, there is true thanksgiving in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are less prone to these unfruitful works of darkness. When we are thankful, the rewards of sin tend to be much more meaningless than when we're not thankful, right? Because normally when we sin, right, there's a promise of something that it never gives us that we're hoping for. So when we're thankful that it's not our own earning that makes us forgiven and reconciled to God, uh, and we preach that to ourselves, okay? We're less likely to go off into these things. And so to be thankful is this gratefulness that God has done for you what you could never do and could never deserve, right? God has stepped into our place. We all, right, condemned to die because of our sinfulness. And God comes in as a loving father, okay? Uh, as the Bible is about to call us sons of disobedience, right? It's what we were. We were in darkness and God came in and he plucked us out of the fire, right? He came in and adopted us as a loving father and he rescued us for eternity, right? And so now we get what we don't deserve. We get the righteousness of Christ. We get the words not guilty on us, even though we're guilty. And it's in that truth of the gospel that we rejoice, that we are grateful, that we are thankful. And Paul is saying, look, if we do this, there's something different about us, Right? 
There's something different about the way we look at life. There's something different about the way we put our desires aside and walk in love towards one another, as chapter 4 just talked about, right? There's something different about being thankful in the gospel. This is important. This is the... Um, weapons Paul is giving us to fight the battle of sin and be imitators of God is to be grateful. Think about the gospel. Think about why you believe what you believe and think about the joy in that. Now, he's going to give some reason here. So why are we thankful? Verse 5, here's what he says. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Sounds kind of like a weird reason to be thankful, right? It's a little strange. And I, I, I want to make mention of this, that this text is aimed at the, believing, the believers in Ephesus, okay? This text is not simply aimed at those who are not believers, but it's aimed at believers. And so Paul says, why should we be thankful? Uh, and he says, for, so it's because you can be sure of this. You can be certain that those who walk in these patterns will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, what is Paul doing by saying that? I'll say this. God is not simply trying to get you to question your salvation here. That's that's not what God is doing, I don't believe. I believe what God is doing is that he is drawing the believer's attention to their unmerited, amazing, awesome salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, right? Because without Christ, make no mistake, you can be sure of this, anyone who does not have Christ will not inherit the kingdom. But if you are in Christ, you have an inheritance, right? And this inheritance is amazing. This inheritance is eternal. This inheritance cannot be taken away by anybody or anything, even yourself, right? It's an amazing truth. And so what he's doing is he's drawing our attention to the center of the gospel, to the center of our joy. It's going to be a theme about these trade-offs, okay? So, so he's saying, trade your sinful patterns for the greater joy. That's what we mean by trading sinful patterns for thanksgiving. And then he's going to continue um, this. But I do want to mention that if you do look at these sins and you do see these sins as a pattern in your life, I always think that there is fruit in questioning whether you've actually ever really been thankful, Right? whether that you actually do have the Lord. But that's another for another time. So let's continue. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the sinful patterns mentioned, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, he says, look, don't let anyone persuade you differently. These things are true, Okay. So what's he mean by that? Here's what I think. At least here's how I think it applies to us now in the 21st century. See, this is something we've been learning since the 20th century and the philosophy movement, okay, the, the psychology movement, right, is this. This is the truth, okay, that basically human beings are good and they need some moral direction and correction, but by and large, we can make a pretty good society and a pretty good life and a pretty good world because human beings are generally good, right? And this is just not true. And you got to catch yourself thinking about this. Because I find in myself, like I, I don't believe that clearly, but I find myself thinking that way sometimes. And I think what Paul is trying to draw the attention is like, look, people are not just somewhat morally good and need somewhat moral cor- correction, right? And then they're going to be fine. But rather, people are horrible. That's the story of the world. Read history, right? People are awful. Look at yourself in the mirror. You are horrible, okay? 
without Christ's intervention, right? We are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, as Ephesians 2 says, right? So remember, this is in the, back, the backdrop of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So what he's saying is, look, make no mistake, this reality is true, okay? The wrath of God is coming upon everyone apart from the rescuing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might say, I don't feel super motivated right now. This all seems negative. But the point is this, is that this is what we've been rescued from, right? This is what we've been graciously undeservedly rescued from by the God of the universe. What Ephesians 1 says that he did this before the foundations of the world. You know, people ask the question, oh, when were you saved? I always say, before the world was created, baby. That's when I was saved, all right? That's my salvation story because without it, I got nothing, right? I got nothing, but God did it. So once again, God is turning our eyes, okay? Just think about being kind of wayward. God is turning our eyes to the fact that we were at one time Sons and daughters of disobedience and on a collision course towards the wrath of God, but the wrath of God, but in grace and mercy, our loving father adopted us and made us his own. Okay. That's why we make that trade. Let's go on to the next trade. So we also trade darkness for light. Now, Paul's going to be doing a little bit of back work here. Once again, he's going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, just going to kind of let the cat out of the bag. Each point, is he's kind of pointing towards this gospel truth, okay, as the motivation for how we kill sin and walk as imitators of God. Let's look at verse 7 through 10-ish. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, I'll stop right there. There's a lot packed up in this. This is really good, okay? He's going to use the light-darkness analogy, okay? Darkness being the sinful ways. We were once children of wrath, walking in darkness like the rest of mankind. Light being uh, the way in which we walk in the Lord. Christ is the light of the world. We are now light of the world in Christ, right? Because he's made us light. Therefore, we walk in light. He's saying a lot of stuff here. But uh, there's a few things I want to point out. Uh, Once again... Paul is focusing on our identity, okay? Not just mere uh, behavioral correction. He's focusing on our identity. We are children of light now, right? Because the father of all lights has saved us and made us his own and made us like him by the power of the spirit. And so we are light now. So therefore we do not walk in darkness anymore, right? We cannot walk in darkness anymore because we've been brought into the light. And so he's focusing on identity. Now, He says this, he says, therefore, do not become partners with them, talking about the sons of disobedience. Okay, so Paul says, don't be partners with the people of the world. Now, we've got to ask, what does that mean? And I would argue, and I believe you would too, this doesn't mean that we avoid non-believers at all costs, because if that were the case, then it wouldn't be Christ-like, right? Christ spent so much time with non-believers that people called him a drunkard, right? And because he was just hanging around all these people, they called him dirty because he was hanging around prostitutes like Jesus. The people Jesus chose to hang around with were not people we would invite into our home groups, maybe, right? Um, But, so it doesn't mean that, but rather what it means is don't partner with them in their sinful patterns that lead to death. There's a big difference between that, okay? 
There's a big difference between that. And here's, here's the thing, okay? A lot of times we maybe end up doing that because we are afraid to actually expose the light that we are, right? It's, like, it's almost like this weird thing we play where we're trying to be missional, so we're kind of afraid to kind of be who our true selves are. So we kind of try to go along with the world as long as we can until a point, right? So we can be missional. And I'm just not a fan of that missional strategy to a point. I do believe in becoming all things to all people. But I would say this, that... Um, you can't hide light in darkness. It doesn't work that way, okay? You can't have a room that's got full of lights and you bring some darkness into it and it takes away. It's actually the opposite, right? Lightness is what kind of takes away darkness. Um, so we shouldn't be ashamed as lights in a dark world, okay? Stop trying to blend in, okay? Light cannot blend with darkness. This doesn't work that way, okay? You are not camouflage. You are marked by Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. But we do this in love. Now, so, don't go after darkness. Walk in the light. He tries, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We should think about our actions that way. Instead of saying, is this permissible? <laughs> Can I get away with this, right? We, we should think, does this please God? Just simply put, does this please God? If it does, awesome. Do it and do it with all of your might. If it doesn't, you shouldn't be doing it. That's a simple way to look at our lives is say, is this pleasing to God? Discern what it is. How do you discern what's pleasing to the Lord? Do you use a magic ball? No. We use the word of God, right? Because God has revealed everything that is pleasing to him. Everything that delights him is revealed to us in the word of God. And so we look there. And so he says then, goes on, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I love that. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So he doesn't stop at just the behavior. He doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't walk in former darkness, but you should walk in the light. But he continues and says, look, not only should you do that, but you should expose darkness. And I believe this is twofold. I believe, one, we expose darkness within ourselves. It's called confession. And I think, two, we expose darkness in others, and that's called community. I think there's two ways this works out, okay? So confession and community. So one, ourselves, all right? This is important because we don't like to do this. We talk about this often, but it's true. We have to expose the darkness within us, okay? We have to admit, even though we're children of light, we still like to walk in patterns of darkness. And, and what Paul is saying is you've you got to expose it. Why? Because if anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. And if anything is visible, it is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ is going to shine on the darkest parts of your heart, and we need not to run from that. We're far too good at hiding our sinful ways. It starts with like, oh, I got angry, or oh, I did this. Ah, it's not a big deal, whatever. I just won't do it again. Oh, I was just stressed out. It's cool, right? Then what happens is you slowly start to cover things up and cover things up and cover things up. And you get to the point where you're exploding in this sinful ball of flames. And you have no idea what happened. But it's because you weren't bringing things to light to be healed by Christ. But rather, you were keeping them covered out of shame, right? We do this often. I just got a lot of work done on my house. And it's like every time they would like move a board away or something, it's like we'd find something else. You know, like gremlins have been living in there just, you know, using the wood for fire or something. I don't know. It's just like everything, everything my house like falling apart, you know, before it's all said and done. And so I know we don't like to be exposed, but it's good that we're exposed, right? Because if not, then it all crumbles. Um, and then we also, we expose in others. We've been talking about this, but I think this is an important thing. Not only do we expose darkness in the world, which is very important, Right? The church is called to be a buttress of the truth. 
That's important. And so we, we proclaim truth. We expose the darkness of the world. But I also think this applies to com- community, like life and community among, among one another. We must be getting better at at least exposing that darkness. That's what Ephesians 4 was talking about, right? It's about helping one another grow to be imitators of God. And when we're not imitating, we should have brothers and sisters that know us, come alongside us and say, hey, there's some darkness there, okay? You need the light. And so we expose it there as well. And we do this all through the word of the Lord. Um, so when the, when the darkness is exposed, it becomes visible. When it's visible, it becomes light. There's healing in Christ. Now, let's get to verse 14. And it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, there's a lot of things to say about this text. I do think it sounds very similar to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Could be a callback to that. Often when Paul quotes the scriptures, I learned this from Spurgeon. He said it this way. Basically, Paul often quotes the spirit of the text and not necessarily the verbatim of the text, which is often true, right? Paul will do that. Um, so it, it could be Isaiah 61, which basically says, like, arise and let the Lord Jehovah shine upon you. Um, but... I think in a broader sense, it's probably a culmination of just the truth in general of the Old Testament applied to Christ, right? Christ being the healing light coming in uh, to the world. Now, I do think that this text could be applied both ways, both to believers and non-believers, because clearly if that is a tie back to Isaiah 61, sorry, I'm getting through this. I just have to do this to justify what I'm about to say. But um, I think if it is a callback to that, it's clearly pointing to the salvation that God was going to send through Jesus Christ. And so that applies to believer and non-believer alike in that way, right? Because you're calling everyone to have Christ shine upon you. But in particular context, I want to apply this and talk about this in light of the believer, okay? And what I mean by that is when the Lord says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, I think his call is calling back to the salvation you have. And I think what God is saying is, wake up, right? There is a spiritual slumber. This is why the, the, like if you ever think about some of the parables of Jesus where about the ten virgins, right? They're supposed to be ready for the bridegroom and five were ready, five were not, right? There's all these warnings to like stay awake, be alert, be ready. And I think it's what God is doing in these texts. He's calling us to be awake. Like stay awake, wake up, I think is what the Lord is saying. Spurgeon, who preached on this text uh, on October 7th, 1866, um, it was called the aroused church, or the church aroused is what he called it. And here's a line from him that I think kind of sums up what we've been talking about so far. Here's what he says. He says, oh, we are over our head and ears in debt to Christ. We are what good Rutherford used to call drowned debtors to Christ. Oh, the depths of our obligation. Oh, how high should be the heights of our gratitude since he has done so much for us. If he says, awake. Oh, master, we would not only awake, but we would crave your pardon a thousand times that ever we should have fallen into the sinful sleep. It is your Lord that speaks. It is your master that cries. Awake, awake. Oh, loyal hearts and virgin souls by the lilies of your love and by the roses of his blood with which he bought you. Awake, awake, awake and ask for an earnestness which you may never lose again. I love that. Man, what I would give you here, Spurgeon, actually say that, okay? Um, No microphone, just this man with a burly chest, just, I'm sure the Metropolitan Tabernacle just rung so nicely, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, The point is that I think this is a call to wake up. Look at me. I think in your joy and in your suffering, Christ is trying to remind you. He's trying to point you back to the center, right? I mean, just let's take suffering because that's a more powerful example. Um, I think joy is equally powerful in some ways, but let's just think of yourself. Have you ever been sick, right? 
maybe if you got COVID, maybe you've been sick with other things, maybe you had chronic illness, uh, whatever it may be, right? I imagine Christ saying, look, you are spiritually sick. Wake up, right? Sorry, in our physical sufferings, right? If you've been poor, if you've suffered things, look, the riches of the world cannot satisfy you. Wake up, right? We can go on and on. If you've suffered loss, made a loss of a loved one, a loss of something precious to you, Christ is reminding you, wake up. I'm the real gain, right? All things in this world will fade, but I will be the gain. Christ is telling us, wake up. Wake up. Don't sleep. Don't sleep on the truth. It's important that we awake. And so, once again, in this point, Paul and Christ through Paul is trying to center us back to the truth. Like, God's the real thing. He's the real joy. He's the real satisfaction. And belief in that, life in that, is the only way to walk in obedience. We obey because we're loved. We don't obey because we're earning something, right? It's that truth in the gospel uh, I'm almost out of time, so I want to move on. The third trade is we trade foolishness for wisdom. He says this in verse 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so he's saying, don't be an idiot. Okay, don't be foolish. Walk in wisdom. What's wisdom? Well, he says, look, make best use of the time. The little word is redeemed. So redeem the time because the days are evil. You know what this tells me? It tells me three things about our life. One, that it's short, all right? I know that's kind of maybe an overwrought statement from preachers, but it's true, okay? Life is short. Time is fleeting. Secondly, it tells me that our time matters, right? Like what we do with our time matters significantly in light of eternity. And then thirdly, our time is spent in some evil days. So look to Christ to satisfy. I love that. Make best use of time because the days are evil. Look at me. Your life is short. It's going to disappoint you because it's going to run out of time, right? Now we know in Christ we'll live for eternity, but I'm talking about life on this earth. It is going to disappoint you because it is going to end earlier than you wanted it to. That's true for everybody. Unless you're one of those people that get like to be 107, you're like, please take me, you know. Um, but outside of that, it's going to end before you want it to. It is the sadness of life that death comes because of sin. Also, it matters, right? Like what we do about our life matters. It not only matters for our eternity, but for others as well. We, we don't want to spend our lives just wasting our time doing whatever, right? I mean, just think about some of the stupid things we get caught up in, right? There's some of the sinful patterns that we fall into, that we think are going to be so good. I mean, when you think about eternity, they're so frivolous. They're so stupid. They're so minuscule, right? And then also, our, our time is spent in evil days. Look at me. This world is designed to not satisfy you, okay? It's designed to not satisfy you. God, in his infinite mercy and wisdom and omniscience, has made the world to not satisfy you. You were not made for the world. You were made for God, Right? And the only true life in this world is one lived for God. So he says, don't be foolish. Make best use of the time. Man, I love these kind of calls for us because it's so important. Look, here's the deal. The reason, I think, obviously because we're sinful first and foremost, but another reason that we spend a lot of our tithes, time rather drifting off into deceitful, sinful patterns of life rather than focusing on what we really know and want to be focusing on is because 
we just don't think about these things. That's what I mean. Like God is saying, wake up, look, think about what's real. Think about what matters. Think about what is important. And man, when we do that, it's such a healing remedy for us in our battle against sin, right? Like we got to know why we're fighting. If not, you're just kind of, you're just like, you know, a fencing game that you're going to lose, right? But if we know why we're fighting, then that makes a warrior, right? You got to know why you're fighting. You got to have purpose about your life. And so he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is good, okay? So when he says understand the will of the Lord, he's not saying you better find out if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer because if you get this wrong, you're going to disappoint me, okay? It's not what God's saying, all right? Uh, I think God, I'm, I'm sure he's got plans for you, okay? But I, I think God could care less what your vocation is. Not that he doesn't care. I don't want to get in that, okay? If you hate your job and you're praying for a new one, God cares, okay? That's not where I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is that God uh, made you to find your all in him, right? He made you to find your joy in him, to glorify him in the joy of your master. That's what you were made for. So we're asking, what is the will of the Lord? Read the book, right? What has God mainly and ultimately created you for? That's the will of the Lord for you. We are, we are so like discontent in our lives. We're always dissatisfied. We're looking on social media and we're like, oh gosh, I wish I had this, this person had, or you know, I wish my life wasn't like this. And the reason that is, is because we have a hard time focusing on what we were created for, right? Like if you are living your life to the glory of God and the good of others in the gospel truth, by the power of the spirit, that is one content and satisfied person, no matter what the circumstance looks like, right? That's got to be our joy. If I could sum it up, I would say this. As orphan sons and daughters of disobedience, okay, you have been adopted by the loving Father of heaven. He has given you a new nature in the place of your old sinful nature in former darkness. He's called you to walk in his will through his love and the power of his spirit and It is the gratitude of this love already bought for us in the blood of Jesus Christ that was perfect, like a lamb without any blemish or spot, um, that motivates us to flee from the unfruitful works of darkness and to trust in Christ and walk in the light, okay? This is what motivates us. So Paul is saying, like, get the gospel. You know, you, you are constantly looking away from the center. Look at the center. Just like in the Old Testament, when God makes this makes Moses make this staff of a gold snake and all these people are sick in the camp, right? And, and God just tells Moses, hold it up, put it up. And then basically what happens is that anyone who looks to that snake is healed. And if they don't, they die. It's kind of the thing, right? So God is constantly saying, look to him, right? Look to him, the symbol of all things good and the joy of our salvation. So here's how I want to end our time. I'm out of time, but this is what I want to do. Um, I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, starting verse 3 together. So y'all can stand with me. And, and what I want to do is I just want to, I want to look. I want to ask God to help us look to our inheritance, our joy in the gospel, what we're about to sing about and um, rejoice in because this is how we battle sin. This is how we imitate Christ and walk in love and our sinful and fallen nature. And we're going to do it so imperfectly. But this is how we do it. We take joy in God. And the more we take joy in God and walk in thanksgiving, the more we slay the sinful desires that Peter says wage war against our soul. All right. So let's read this together. It's going to be on the screen. Listen closely. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now listen, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious inheritance to the praise of your glory. God, we thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, you have bent such effort on us who are so undeserving. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray this morning that you would help us to walk in love and to be imitators of you, Jesus Christ, not based on any earning or behavioral modification we think we could come up with, but based on the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would make these trades, that we would trade in our sinful patterns to walk in newness of life. As we read in chapter 4, you would help us to put on the new man, to walk in the new nature as children of our good Father. God, we repent of our sin And I pray, God, for those who have felt very convicted of their sin, that they would expose it, Lord. Or rather, that you would expose them to the light of your grace, that they would confess their sin. God, they would confess their inability to please you. And God, come to you and receive forgiveness and grace and a new nature and a new joy this world can offer. And God, we pray you'd help us to wake up right now. God, I pray everyone under the sound of my voice would hear that call. Wake up. Wake up from spiritual sleep. Wake up from the things of this world that so easily entangle you and look to Christ, the founder and finisher of our faith. Oh God, may that be our joy. May that be what we believe this morning, and may you give us that life, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.